Based on the clear genealogical order God provided Moses to reveal the origin of his promised seed and thus to highlight his sovereign ability to fulfill his promise, God through Moses is now going to narrow down the reader's focus to the next level of important instruction. The promise which was universal in its origin will continue to be universal in its scope. You understand that? The promise was universal in its origin. In other words, God promised Eve, I will give you a seed and he will crush the serpent's head and it's universal in its origin. The seed of Eve, guess what? We're all children of Adam and Eve through Noah, through his descendants, okay? So that universal scope is applicable to every human, but it's also universal, excuse me, universal in its origins, but it's also universal in its scope, which is what we'll see in Genesis 12, 3, where we are today. However, this promise will be limited to those who receive it by faith. So there is a transition in this passage now that the beginning of Abram's story is the seeds of faith that we must have today in order to understand and inherit God's promised blessing. Pagan Abram's faltering steps of faith serve as a reminder that salvation does not come to the righteous, but the righteous become so by faith in the righteous one who promises to deliver. Did you catch that? So as we've seen all throughout our study in Genesis, sin destroys, but God delivers. Today, we will see that God's deliverance for humans will come through a human seed who must choose to believe God and his promises and act upon this belief. This is the highlighted, uh, this is highlighted throughout Abram or Abraham's narrative from Genesis 11:27 to chapter 25:11 when he dies. As the reader sees this progression of Abram, Abram's growing faith, uh, we will see that God's universal promise with its universal scope is designed to be claimed individually. God's universal promise with its universal scope is designed to be claimed individually. That claim will only be accepted through faith that is properly placed and properly enacted. So the narrative today showcases a pattern of faith that cements the foundation for us to follow today. So God speaks and Abram obeys. We're going to see this this pattern in Genesis 12, 1 and 4, Genesis 12, 7 and 8 and 9. God speaks, Abram obeys. So this will teach us none other than this truth today. Faith in God's promises always leads to action from God's people. Can we work this backwards? God's people will always act on, God's, on faith in God's promises. God's people will always act in faith in God's promises. Can I say it another way? People who are not of God will not follow God in faith and thus will not receive his promises. Say, Pastor, that's incredibly discouraging and depressing. Why would you say such a negative thing? Well, it's just the converse of what this truth is today. If Abram, who was the, the descendant, and by the way, uh, I will go back to this. You remember here Cain, Abel, and Seth. Seth is the thirdborn, right? Abram is, by the way, the thirdborn in this text. Now, the, the, the implication becomes, it's not as clear in the genealogy, but it is when you read the birth orders and the age of these patriarchs. Abram is third. So Abram automatically everybody assumes, well, it's the firstborn that gets promise and the firstborn normally does. But here Abram is third in the birth order. And so we can't say that God um, has limited me in my, in my ability to, to glorify him because of this circumstance in my life. No, God sovereignly enacts his promises. They're universal in origin. They are universal in scope, but they are received by faith. And today, when we engage in God's, in faith, um, in God's promises, that engaging is an action that will grow us from the inside out. And so as we look at the text today, we are going to see that genuine faith 
produces radical abandonment with rich rewards. Genuine faith produces radical abandonment with rich rewards. Remember what we've been talking about thus far. What is the kernel that we're thinking today? Faith in God's promises always leads to action from God's people. So as we look at the text, what faith does Abram display that, or what action does Abram display that showcases his faith in God's promises? And that's the question we're asking. Do you remember the question we asked you today? How does faith in God's promises showcase itself in active ways in your life and mine? We got that directly from the text of scripture, directly from understanding Abram today. So first of all, I want us to see that genuine faith produces radical abandonment with rich rewards. That's what the text teaches us. Now, like I've said on many occasions, almost to the point of it being a byline here at Crossroad Baptist Church, and I'm okay with that, the most important thing that I am going to say this morning is going to happen right now. I'm going to read Genesis 12, 1 to 10. And you understand what I mean by that, right? Uh, we're here to listen from to God, not me. And so this is what God says. And so let's give our attention to God's holy word this morning and ask God to help us understand his truths that your pastor has framed for you in a way that hopefully is manageable and applicable today. But let's look at the text, Genesis chapter 12. We're just going to read verses 1 to 10. I want you to notice the pattern. God speaks, Abram obeys. See this pattern in the text. Number one, now the Lord had said, to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. And Abram with, was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh, and the Canaanites were, in, were then in the land. Verse 7, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. And there he, Abram, built an altar to the Lord who, who had appeared to him. And Abram moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he, Abram, pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he, Abram, built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. I, I said this is 12, 1 to 10. That's a typo, 12, 1 to 9. Uh, verse 10 is next time. So as we look at this text, and we, we notice uh, today, as we ask and answer this question, uh, how can our active faith uh, be, be showcased in your life and mine? We will ask and answer that question by seeing that genuine faith produces radical abandonment with rich rewards. That's the first point in verses 1 to 3. And you say, well, I don't know if I see that. Well, check out what God says. Abram's Lord says to Abram, and by the way, Lord, L-O-R-D, all caps, this is the covenant name for God that we're going to be introduced to. Moses has written it in here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that the people of God, when they're hearing the oral uh, scripture, the oral narrative read to them, they're going to hear Yahweh. And the Yahweh said to Abram, why? Because the covenant name of God, which is going to showcase to us in the narrative around Moses' life in Exodus chapter 6, when Moses uh, is in the wilderness after murdering an Egyptian and fleeing for his life, he's sometime in a 40-year span of time, he's walking through the wilderness as a shepherd and he sees a bush that's on fire, probably very much like we are here in Arizona, one of these tree bushes that we see, junipers or mesquites or palo verdes that actually are bushes, but they look like trees. It's on fire, but it isn't consumed. And Moses walks up to it out of curiosity, and he hears the voice of God. Moses, take off your shoes, for you are on holy ground. And he, and he commissions Moses that moment and says, 
to Moses, I want you to go to my people. I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to say, let my people go. And Moses says, well, who shall I tell them sent me, Lord? What is your name? And he says, Yahweh, Yahweh is my name. I am that I am has sent you. And so Moses, the great storyteller, the deliverer uh, of, of God's people from Egypt, 440 years uh, after this story, is telling this story in written and oral form, delivered to him from God. And here he discusses God's covenant name with God's covenant people to link them to the covenant promise of a seed that will crush the serpent's head. But that covenant promise must be received like Father Abram, later Abraham, by faith. Because faith is the key that unlocks the action that God's people are positioned to do and serve. Genuine faith produces the radical abandonment with rich rewards. We find Abram radically abandons, uh, uh, his radical abandonment points Godward. Look at verse 1. What do I mean by this radical abandonment? Well, look what it says. The Lord God, Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, the great I am, says to Abram, get out of your country. Get away from your family and from your father's house to a land where I'll show you. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't say casually, hey, you know, why don't you make a plan? You know, uh, consolidate your 401k, you know, get your Roth and your simple IRAs together, get your retirement pension and package, make sure they get to a certain amount of money here. Um, you get your affairs in order, tidy up all the uh, loose ends here, dot the I's, cross the T's. And uh, when you're ready, no, he calls for a radical abandonment. But look, friends, at the direction of this abandonment. He doesn't call for a radical isolation, he calls for a, an abandonment that points to God. So God call, calls Abram to abandon all personal relationships that would hinder the most important relationship, his personal relationship with God. This pointed abandonment would show up constantly in Abram's life when he would have to choose God's way or God's word over family. Sometimes he epically failed, right? heating Sarai and impregnating Hagar. Sometimes he greatly succeeded, offering up his only one and only son, Isaac, the son of the promise. This pointed abandonment did not make Abram a loner, a prepper, an isolationist, a zealot, but rather caused him to run from all that, the, that would influence him to sin and toward the one who could give him an eternal inheritance. This is akin to, to the radical abandonment that is showcased in genuine repentance and faith in Jesus through his gospel. You see, Abram was the father of faith because he set the pattern of repentance. Repentance, metanoeo, is a turning of the mind or the heart from sin and to God. Repentance always goes back to God, not away from God. Abram was called to a radical abandonment that pointed Godward not selfward. He wasn't leaving Haran to make a name for himself. He wasn't leaving Haran to acclaim a nation for himself. He was leaving Haran in obedience to God. His radical abandonment pointed to God. And so, friends, when we follow the radical abandonment by faith that Abram set for us, that pattern of repentance, a turning from sin and to God, a radical abandonment of all that hinders us from truly following, loving, and living for God, we are following Abraham's footsteps, or Abram's footsteps. This was Abram's cost of following God by faith. Listen to what Jesus called for when he called for this same type of, of abandonment in Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciples. Now listen, you understand I've preached this message. I don't know if I preached it recently, uh, but in April I was asked to preach a, a mini conference at a church in eastern North Carolina. And I preached a series of sermons on Luke 13, 14, and 15, the radical cost of discipleship. In Luke chapter 14, this is the, the test of supreme love. Who do you love more? Family? Father? Mother? Wife? Children? Brother? Sister? 
or do you love Jesus more? You see, friends, being a follower of God by faith, turning from sin and turning to the Savior will cost us everything. There's a test of supreme love that Jesus is demanding. He's not saying, when he says hate, this is a comparative term. You guys understand that, right? He's not literally saying we should hate our mother and our father, our wife, children, brothers, and sisters. He is using it as an hyperbole, a hyperbolic comparative term. You say, well, how do I know that? Well, because the Bible says that the identifier of all Christians should be our love for one another. Jesus would not contradict what he's saying. He's literally using a hyperbolic way to say your love for your parents, your family, your familial love should be should look like hate compared to your love for me. Abram was a man who was called by Yahweh, the covenant God of the earth, to radical abandonment, but his radical abandonment pointed to God. Friends, we live in a generation that calls for radical abandonment. Most of our society is calling for it on a political way, and I will not lie to you, the last uh, 15 years of American politics have been very discouraging. I don't care what party you're affiliated with. Our brothers for close to Baltimore, what upheaval in a city, probably the number one, well, number two, I think, behind Chicago, highest crime ratio, worst poverty, most depressive, and most ethnically charged. The, the radical racism in Baltimore is sad. And you know who it's propagated by? The left who says the right wing are the radicals. No, the left are propagating racism and hate and and we look at our society and there's a there's a call for radical abandonment right from the christian community but when they think of radical abandonment they're thinking leaving the systems breaking off the shackles isolationists preppers let's go and hide out and camp out and stockpile and wait for the 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 uh, time of the end so that we can be a militia and fight back and listen maybe there will be a time where that has to happen i have no idea but i can tell you this god has called us to not radically abandon and isolate ourselves but instead radically abandon toward god we must love god and by faith there are people that are needing to be snatched thus from the flames of eternal damnation because you have compassion and you're willing to make a difference, Jude says. Oh, friends, Abram's step of faith was a call to radical abandonment, but it was a radical abandonment that pointed to God. Notice also the progression of God's command in this text and thus the progression of Abram's journey to a closer, more intimate relationship with God. First, we see in the text that he was to abandon his country, right? This took him from his pagan culture, rife with all of its wicked worship of the moon god and its licentious practices. I mentioned this two weeks ago. We have now excavated Ur of the Chaldees. We have actually found the queen of Ur. She was buried in a tomb at the foot of a ziggurat with 70 of her servants that were cruelly murdered around her, wearing a headdress that is of solid gold that looks like a a ray, rays of the moon, the worship of the ray god in call, uh, excuse me, of the moon god uh, was worship with human sacrifice. This is what Abram was called out of. This is what his family left, a culture that had no regard for life. Friends, do you know the United States of America over the last 25 years has killed more babies of our population then a second only to China, which had a one-child policy for decades. The United States of America, the Christian nation, we killed children higher at higher percentage rates of our population than any other nation on earth except for China, which doesn't believe in a God. And we wonder why God is calling us to radically abandon our culture, our country. I'm not saying that we abandon America. Please be an American and go vote. For Pete's sake, go vote, right? Every election year, 
register, vote, vote on principle, vote on biblical ethics, vote on conscience while we still have the right to vote. If we can take back our political system, hallelujah, praise Jesus, maybe he'll give us mercy to preach the gospel freely for another four more years or eight more years. But ultimately, the, the point of our freedom is not for self-indulgence. The point of our freedom is for the advancement of the cause of Jesus, right? This is what God called Abram to do, radically abandon family. Listen, he had to abandon his country, but he must leave his pagan extended family as well who refused to journey with him. He must abandon all of his cousins, nephews, nieces, aunts, uncles, distant relations, and all those family connections that could provide in, in any way wealth, status, influence, property, and stability. Do you see what's going on here? He's called to abandon the culture he knows. He's called to abandon the people that would give him support, structure, wealth, and status. Because he is to trust in the covenant God of the universe, Yahweh, to provide for him. Jesus put it this way in his Sermon on the Mount, right in the middle of it in Matthew 6, 33 and 34. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What things? Clothing. Take no thought for uh, what you should wear, what you should put on. For I tell you a truth, Solomon arrayed in all of his glory, was not even as beautiful as the flower of the field. But you are far more valuable than Solomon arrayed in his glory or the flower of the field or the sparrow who God keeps track of the mortality rates of, apparently. And when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, clothing, food, shelter, it shall be added unto you. Take no thought for the morrow because there's enough evil. Each day has enough evil of its own, or if you like the King James phrasing, sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. Literally, every day has enough evil of its own. Stop worrying about tomorrow. Friends, Abram was called, Abram, the father of faith, was called to a radical abandonment that pointed to God, not isolationism, not insulationism, us for and no more, right? Just wall it off, pastor. Lock the doors, bar the gates. Keep them from coming in. I mean, if we can just protect ourselves till the rapture, we're all good. No, we have a mission to accomplish, don't we? We must be the church. We are the church who are to be disciples making disciples. Radical abandonment means leaving our pagan extended family, right? And then finally, he must abandon those from his father's house those immediate siblings who refuse to turn from their paganism into the one true God. But this is only God's opening statement in verse one. This is all God opens with. Abram's progression of abandonment was going to be increasingly harder and harder, but his reward was also increased exponentially as well. Maybe you've lost sight of where we're going. Point number one, genuine faith produces radical abandonment with rich rewards. So not only does radical abandonment point Godward, but radical abandonment receives exponential reward. We see this in verses two and three. Radical abandonment uh, produces or receives a rich reward, exponential reward. So verses two and three also show a, pro a progression of blessing. He's an individual. He will become a great nation. He will have a great name. And then he will in turn be the one to bless others Finally, those who bless him will themselves be blessed, and ultimately, Abram will be the cause of universal blessing for all of humanity. What an amazing exponential reward. You know, we have an advantage of knowing the rest of the story. Abram would indeed have a son and the heir of the promise who would eventually be an heir to the Davidic throne and then the eternal throne of God, Jesus, right? This exponential blessing of Abram is ours today when we repent and we trust Jesus by faith. Now, I don't want to lose you here. And by the way, remember, if you follow us on Faith Life, this is a bulletin that's published, so all the notes are available to you. You don't have to take snapshots or follow or write them all down. But I want you to go ahead and look up, and I apologize for the massive nature of this text, but I want you to look at Ephesians. This should be Ephesians. Oh, 
I put in the wrong text. So forget that. Grab your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 2, will you? That's my bad. I got to find the, there we go. So you're in Ephesians chapter 2. I typed it wrong. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 22. And you, he made alive. This is Paul speaking to the Ephesian believers. Remember, what are we talking about? We're talking about radical abandonment that receives exponential reward. We're talking about when you, by faith, follow God through Jesus, and that your active faith in God's promises produce a faith that will reward you exponentially. Listen to this. Uh, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this word, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also you were once conducted yourselves in the lusts of your flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as others. What is Paul doing? He's saying you and I were once part of Abram's culture. We were once part of a culture of destruction and decimation that rejected the one true God of the Bible, that did not know Yahweh, the great I am, that was going their own way as fast as possible, the colloquial phrase to hell in a handbasket. And listen to what he says in verse four, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when you were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us uh, sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and the kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should, anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that he should walk in, in them. Therefore, based on all of these amazing truths, the rich rewards of a life devoted to God by faith, of radical abandonment that abandons toward Jesus, toward God, not to isolationism or insulationism. Listen to what he says in verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, called by uncircumcision, by what is called circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of prophets, having no hope and without God in this world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. For he himself, that, who is that? Jesus Christ, he himself is our peace. Remember, Peace on earth and goodwill toward men. There is born today to you in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, Isaiah uh, 9, 6. And he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Everlasting God, uh, Prince of Peace. He who is our peace has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he, Jesus, might reconcile them, that's us sinners, and both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, verse 19, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building fit, being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Oh, friend, do you see what he's saying? Our genuine faith in God calls for a radical abandonment, a radical abandonment that points toward God, a radical abandonment that receives a rich reward. 
But not only will we radically abandon all that hinders us from faith uh, in our faith walk with Jesus, but we see secondly that genuine faith produces total obedience despite obstacles. That's what verses four to six teach. Go back to Genesis, if you will. And as you're, as you're turning back to Genesis chapter 12, let me ask you this question, friends. Have you taken the first steps of faith in God's promise of deliverance? By now in our study, you, you know that you are a sinner or, a son, of de, or a, a, a son of destruction. Are you a sinner or are you a son of deliverance? By now in our study, you know that you are a daughter of Adam and Eve even. The promise of deliverance through God's chosen seed is offered to you. It's the God-man, Jesus, the son of God, Jesus, who is God, the son. Will you abandon all and follow him? Will you repent of your sin and accept God's one and only substitute for you, Jesus? It will require radical abandonment, but its promises, its promises are rich rewards. Friend, will you recklessly abandon the cares and concerns of this world, the pleasures of sin for a season so that you can inherit the eternal riches and peace of God's heavenly presence? Is there something in this world that is keeping you from turning from your sin and to your Savior to live a life of active faith in Jesus? What is it? Is there something keeping you from God's loving embrace, his total transformation, his taking you from darkness and wrath to light and love by his mercy and grace? If so, what is it? Will you abandon it for God's sake today? Will you receive his exponential reward? You see, faith in God's promises always leads to action from God's people. If you are not a child of God today, can I say like the author of Hebrews says, behold, today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Don't wait. Hell is real. Eternal separation from God is real. There will be a place that burns for all eternity where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And you and I deserve to be there. But by the grace and mercy of God, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to live a sinless life and to die on a cruel cross in your place. He took your sin, every thought, word, and action you ever would commit and do. And he bore it on the cross. He received the wrath of God. He satisfied the wrath of God. And now he ever lives to make intercession for you. Oh, friend, be a child of Abram. Follow in the footsteps of the, the man who radically abandoned culture, family, all for the covenant God, Yahweh, whose name is Jesus. Genuine faith Secondly, produces total obedience despite obstacles. What we see this total obedience does. Well, this total obedience displays compassion toward family and friends. You say, wait a second, pastor. I thought he called, you just said he's got to leave family, father, mother, sister, brother. We have to hate them. We got to, you know, shed them like bad clothes. Well, you understand the hyperbole that he was using here. And what, notice Abram's obedience here. Notice it. Look at the text. Don't, don't let me say it for you. Look at the text. What's he do? Verse four, Abram departs as the Lord has spoken. And who goes with him? His nephew. Why? Because Abram said, I'm going to take care of my, my nephew like he's my very own. Now, does he do that throughout this? Oh, you better believe it. <laughs> uh, Lot starts to become a great nation. Abram starts to become a great nation. They have their, uh, they're in the, the plains of a well-watered, beautiful place. And Lot pitches his tent towards Sodom. And eventually Lot ends up in the gates of Sodom, ruling as an elder of Sodom. And uh, there is a battle between five kings. And the five kings come and wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah and all the outlying cities. And they take Lot and his entire family captive. And so Abram takes his less than 300 trained servants from his household. And he goes and assaults an army of five kings. So the ninja squad with Abram as the head goes sneakily by night with the power of God in the name of Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, and takes back what belongs to God, Lot, and all of his possessions in an amazing victory that later would happen in uh, Genesis 14, uh, the king of Shalom, the king of peace, 
Yerushalom, the king of Salem, Jerusalem, Melchizedek would meet him, the king priest, and Abram would bow to him in tribute and give him a tenth of his offering. And Hebrews would later tell us that that king priest is a type of Jesus, who is the king priest uh, that Abram tithed to. Yes, Lot would be a thorn in Abram's flesh, but Lot was a son that he loved. Radical abandonment means obedience with compassion. Do you have compassion towards your family and friends? I mean, this is real, friends. Total obedience displays compassion for family and friends. So uh, despite the obstacle, notice some of the obstacles. How old is Abraham or Abram? 75. Now I realize Abram lives to a, a ripe old age of, you know, nearly 180, okay? But 75 is no spring chicken, even in Abram's day. This was a big transition for him. Who's he taking? Lot. And every single person that they'd accrued in all of their possessions, anybody that was willing to come with them. This was not a small move. When we moved from South Carolina to Arizona in 2006, we uh, packed up all of our earthly goods that we didn't sell in a yard sale that fit in a 10 by 10 storage unit. And we had another family that was going to team church plant with us. And we packed up all of their belongings and we squished it all into a 26 foot moving truck, which we hauled a trailer on and put our Jeep on. And then we drove uh, a, a minivan that was packed to the hilt with two kids and a bunch of stuff. And they drove a minivan, which was packed to the hilt with uh, one kid and a bunch of stuff. And then we put our dog in the moving truck with a friend who we hired to drive our moving truck across the country so he could do a survey trip and plant a church in Las Vegas. And let me tell you, a caravan of a 26-foot diesel moving truck with a dog in it and two minivans and, and a, a trailer hauling a, a, a car was no easy feat to move from South Carolina to Arizona. And that pales in comparison to what Abram was doing. And so, friends, despite the obstacle of age and things we mentioned above, the disadvantages of leaving country kin and close family, Abram's obedience was enacted with compassion toward, toward those he was responsible for, his wife, his nephew, his family members. The text also reveals that he even took all the people who had come from his household. He moved, he moved all of the willing neighbors with him. Does your faith in Jesus manifest itself in active compassion on your family and friends and neighbors? If not, why not? Here we see that Abram's family reaped a rich reward because of Abram's compassion and obedience to God and love for them. Does your family know that you love them? Listen, family can be difficult. Is that a good enough adjective? Probably not. Family can be challenging, right? Okay? And yet, who has God called us to reach? Our family. Did you get to choose where you were born or to whom's, whose family you were born in? Did you have a dialogue with the Ancient of Days in the heavens when your soul popped into existence uh, whenever he created and spoke you in and said, hey, God, you know, uh, 1979, that'd be a good year. You know, uh, Carl and Katie Horkavy just... Um, yeah, they're uh, in El Paso, Texas right now, but they'll eventually be in Houston. And when they land in Houston, that'd be a great place. You know, how about Webster, Texas, a little southwestern sub suburb of Houston? You know, Carl Katie Orkaby, that can we can we do that deal, God? No, I had no say in that. That's where God put me, into a Roman Catholic family that was religious with no relationship with God, into a military a military family that had been traveling around where, you know, if you asked dad what he planned to do with his life, he'd tell you, I had no idea. My wife said, why don't you be a chiropractor? And he said, okay, Katie. So he went to Houston, Texas under the providence of God. And there, while he was studying for grad school to graduate with his doctorate degree, uh, a man who knew Jesus Christ as a savior was also a fellow classmate and a study buddy, kept pestering him to come study with him, study with me, study with me. And every time he would come over, he'd say, Carl, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Carl, have you ever trusted in Jesus? Carl, would you like to study the word of God with me? And eventually, just to get him to shut up, dad said, sure, fine, whatever. 
And God used a persistent, loving friend, classmate to speak the love of Jesus into his heart. And he was gloriously saved. And that set our family on a journey of transformation, of faith, of radical abandonment from that day to this. Friends, do you care enough about your family, your friends, your neighbors to tell them that you love them? May God help us to endeavor to live our active faith. You know, when God called Jen and I to radical abandonment 20 years ago, we could reach, so that we could reach God's people in Arizona. By the way, that's you. Although we left our country and our kin, we did not leave without a compassionate witness for the cause of Jesus. So many of our family and friends have supported us in prayer and financially over the years in our missionary endeavor to establish Crossroad Baptist Church of Arizona. We've been asked to come back and speak to supporters and supporting churches time and time again because they know our radical obedience came with compassionate love for them as well. You see, when you act on God's promises in a compassionate way, you don't burn your bridges, but rather you build them on a foundation of love for others that compels you to connect with God. I'll tell you another story. I don't like using personal illustrations, but sometimes these are the only ones I know. God planted us in West Park, uh, South Buckeye, Lower Miller Road for 17 years until God finally this year moved us close to the church facility. We're out trekking 17 miles every day to get to this community. And we had a next door neighbor. We were some of, we were the first, our house was the first house built on the block. We moved in sight unseen, spec home. Um, and the neighbor who bought it also owned a home in California who bought the house next to us. And we spent 17 years with a neighbor that was a challenge. She probably didn't mean to be a challenge, but she was. Every time we went on vacation, I can guarantee you she would do something to our house or our property. We came home from vacation, she'd cut our tree down and then sent me a bill for $350. We came home from vacation one time, she had put spikes on the top of our wall um, with, uh, with like wire um, because she said that, that uh, birds were coming and eating our dog food. And so we weren't doing enough to keep you know, birds out of our backyard. And then wanted to charge us for that as well, by the way. And you know what? Over the pro I know, it's, it's, a, it's a head shaker, isn't it? <laughs> but you know what? That thorn in the flesh, yes, I was irritated. Yes, I didn't want to spend $350 on my own tree being cut down. And then, by the way, she kept the mesquite wood. I didn't even get to, like, use it for brisket or something. But you know what? She needed Jesus. By the grace of God, faithfully, over 17 years, we continued to speak the truth into her life. Now, I don't know if she's come to faith or not, but we showed her the compassion of Jesus. And we did not burn a bridge we built a foundation for God to speak into her life someday. And while she was in that home, there were multiple different guys that came in and out, in and out. And I know she was searching for satisfaction and happiness and hope, and she couldn't find it in the relationships of this world. And my prayer still is that she would come to faith in Jesus one day. Friends, do you know your neighbors? Do you say hi? Do you care enough to share the love of Jesus? God puts you there and put them there, whether they're a thorn or they're a joy. They're there for you to reach for the sake of the gospel. Total obedience displays compassion toward family and friends. But total obedience displays discipline, determination. Look at verse six. The text reveals that Abram's journey was fraught with difficulty. He would, uh, we would learn later in Genesis narrative to come to that the land he was passing through, although promised to his posterity, would be full of enemies seeking his destruction. During Abram's lifetime, he would not find a permanent encampment or a place of rest. The Canaanites who occupied the land would not look kindly on his travels through their territory. We'll see later in the narrative that when his faith was tested, he would sometimes falter. Yet in the face of the mighty fortified cities of Canaan, replete with giant warriors and technologically advanced armor, Abram would persist in following God's leading, pitching his tent from place to place, claiming his inheritance and scoping it out with his own eyes before God would even bless his descendants. You see, faith in God's promises caused Abram to live his life with determined discipline in the face of overwhelming odds. Sometimes it feels like the torrent of the world's philosophy, the world's philandering, and even the world's philanthropy will stop uh, the offensive onslaught of the gospel of Jesus. 
Doesn't it feel that way? I can't overcome the world's filth. But my friends, that is not the case. Jesus' promise to build his church still stands today. When we walk by faith and discipline, determination to follow God's will, being disciples, making disciples, we will see God's work in mighty ways. Have you let the difficulties or obstacles of your active faith ruin your testimony or derail your determination? Have you brought into the subtle lie that your action for Jesus is a lost cause or futile? then today, my friend, repent and turn to God in radical abandonment with disciplined determination because God wants to use you with your unique talent and your ability to glorify him, to display his compassion on the loss and to direct your family and your friends to the God who always keeps his promises. Friends, faith in God's promises always, always leads to action from God's people. Genuine Faith radically abandons all hindrances, follows God in total obedience despite overwhelming obstacles. But we will also see, finally, that genuine faith produces open worship from a right perspective. And by the way, I have no subpoints. I have one paragraph and we're done. Genuine faith produces open worship from the right perspective. Abram's faith in God deepened as he compassionately followed the Lord with disciplined determination despite earthly obstacles. Abram's active obedience turned to genuine and open worship, knowing that his reward was not earthly, but rather eternal. And I'll close with this. Turn with me or actually follow on the screen because I actually have it accurate today. Hebrews 11, 8 through 19. It's right there on the screen. You don't have to turn. You can just look at the screen. Listen to what God describes. Fast forward 2,000 years later in the book of Hebrews. 1,800 years later. And by faith, Abram obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. In, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in the multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come, they would have opportunity to return. In other words, if they had dwelled on where they had been, they would, that would have been a temptation to return. But now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abram, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and when he had received, when he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it is said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. You see, friends, Today, we have seen that genuine faith radically abandons all hindrances, follows God in total obedience despite overwhelming obstacles, and produces open worship from a right perspective. Verse 6, uh, or verse, verses uh, 7 through 9 remind us, everywhere Abram went, what does he do? He builds an altar to the Lord and worships. What does he do? He builds an altar to the Lord and worships. My question to you is, Abram uh, was a pagan who abandoned his country and kin in obedience to God. His faith, compassionate and determined, would be the foundation of our faith today. Like Abram, we look for an eternal city, a heritage that is yet to come. We recognize that our citizenship is in heaven and not here on earth. 
We must seek to be disciples who are making disciples in our acts of compassion and determined worship. Friends, are you willing to radically abandon all that is hindering you? Are you willing in compassion and obedience to reach out to your family, your friends, your neighbors? Are you ready to receive the rich reward of an eternal heritage in heaven? Some of you come here today burdened. You're, you're exhausted from the spiritual battle that wages in your heart. You're struggling with defeat and the enemy whispering in your ear, you're not worth it, you're not valuable, and you need to say no to the enemy and yes to Jesus because now there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, to those who walk according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. Some of you are in bodies that let's quite frankly admit are giving up on you. And it's discouraging to wake up and things aren't working the way they should. And maybe you've gotten a diagnosis that is discouraging and yea, even a bit depressing. I'll never forget the day that I went on a, a trip in 2012 to, to go to the very first conference I'd ever been. I had my head buried in the sand. I'd been planting a church for four years and hadn't left Arizona and went on this conference. And I, glory of all glories, it was four hours from my parents and I got to meet them in Greenville and I was so excited. And we got into the hotel room and my dad said, hey, uh, we got something we got to tell you. Come look at my, your, your brother's leg. Something's going on here. Turns out he had rhabdomyosarcoma. He was given a 10% chance of living. The doctors had told him, you got to amputate his leg tomorrow and he's not going to make it. And I remember gathering and thinking, what in the world? I'm, I'm, I'm a 33-year-old man at the time I was 33. I... I've done so much. I've seen so much of God's goodness and mercy. Lord, why can't it be me? My brother's 12. He's got, you know, all these firsts to come, you know, uh, first, first date, you know, first car, first kiss, you know, all of those firsts. Not so much life to live. I remember having a prayer time with the family and thinking, you know what, by the grace of God, we're going we're gonna to weather this. We're going to trust God. We're going to follow God. We're going to obey God. We're going to seek God. And I remember there was a, a major opportunity about six months later. I had a chance to, to again, I was going to go to a conference and uh, there was a snowstorm and my flight got diverted. And so when it got diverted, I called my wife and said, honey, what do I do? Should I come home? Should I keep going? And she said, fly to Raleigh, fly to your parents' house. I flew to my parents' house and I literally was snowed in. Raleigh never has snow that snows you in, but I was snowed in. And I spent four days with my little, at the time, 13-year-old brother. And you know what he said to me? He said, Ryan, last year when God gave me this diagnosis and my parents decided not to amputate my leg and to follow some protocols and, you know, and God granted me, a, a, you know, some victory and some years of life, I realized that I, I didn't have my relationship with God right. And I asked God to show me from his word what I could do to trust and know that I'm heavenly secure, I'm secure in God's heaven one day. And God gave Josiah a verse and an assurance. It's Hebrews 13. I'll show it to you. Hebrews 13, five and six. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That next year was a year of extreme trauma. That young boy dealt with chemo and radiation that was the best the world had to offer and the most destructive treatment that he could have ever received. And I watched
watched his body give, give out. But I watched his spirit. I watched his soul give in to God. Three weeks before he died, he begged, Mom, would you let me go to a Christian camp? She wheeled him around that camp in a wheelchair. He had to stay in a private venue. He didn't even have the strength to walk. She had to pick him up, put him in the wheelchair, push him from place to place. He would go to Cabin to Oceans with his teens. That week, he got a chance to lead two of his teen friends in his cabin to Jesus. Three weeks later, we'd be lying in a room in my parents' bedroom with close family and friends, singing, reading scripture, holding his hand. He would open his eyes for the first time in four days. He would look up, and I know he saw Jesus. And as he breathed his last, he was absent from the body and present with the Lord. Now you tell me, was his 14 years of life worth it? Was his commitment to the Christ who will never leave and forsake worth it? Was the Lord his helper? And the answer is that little 14-year-old boy preached the greatest sermon, a better sermon than his preacher brother would ever preach. And I wonder who in here today has been living a life of self-centeredness a life that does not display obedient faith, a life that has not radically abandoned and compassionately loved. Oh, friend, life is but a vapor. It appears for a little time and then vanishes away. This week, I had an opportunity to go to an accident site. And uh, it was interesting because somebody pulled up to the accident and the guy was crying. It was, he wasn't involved in the accident. He was a neighbor just up the street, and he pulled up the accident, and he was crying, and I had a chance to talk to him and then pray with him. And it turns out that he had just a few weeks before lost his son in a car accident. And here I was on the side of the road able to minister to him who'd lost his son in a car accident. Last night, my son was on the phone with Elizabeth, who is in Utah, traveling from Utah to Colorado to go to a, she's at a church this morning and will be presenting the ministry and then being a BBS all week long as part of the International Baptist College and Seminary missionary team. And while Ben was on the phone with her, he heard a loud explosion. And it turns out that the car next to them, there in the turn lane, ran the red light, hit, uh, flipped three times, was hit by traffic, flipped three times and ran into a pole and the, the leader of her team jumped out of the car, wrenched open the door, pulled out the girl that was in the passenger seat and started doing CPR on the young man. And I do not know if Trevor is in glory tonight or whether he even knew Jesus as Savior, but he was rushed to the hospital. And the last, that's the last I checked. That happened last night while my, brother, my, my son was on the phone with his sister. Friends, life is a vapor. We're not promised tomorrow. What is keeping you from serving Jesus today? Is there anything more important than the price of a soul? Oh, friend, may God grant us a deepening faith in Jesus that actively showcases God's love in our sphere of influences this week. Faith in God's promises leads to action from God's people. Father, as we conclude this morning, we ask your mercy and grace. I pray that our faith in your promises would not be in vain, that we, like Abram, would be willing to radically abandon all that we hold dear and precious in the light of the love of Jesus who will never leave or forsake us. And Father, I pray that if there's someone in here today that does not know Jesus as Savior, that today they would cast off their inhibitions, their fears, the hindrances that are keeping them from Jesus, and they would come in repentance and faith, believing in Jesus the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, if there's someone in here that knows you as Savior but has been living for self, I pray that today would be the turning point in their life.
they would ask by the power of the Holy Spirit for your grace and mercy to transform them from death to life, from the power of Satan to God, and to radically abandon that which is keeping them from serving faithfully and actively. Because faith in your promises always leads to action from your people. We pray that you would have your work. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. We're going to uh, sing a hymn in a moment, a hymn that's called By Faith. But before we do that, I wonder, is God dealing with you? If you would just close out the distractions for a moment of the kids that are enjoying their time outside and the fact that your stomach is rumbling and I preach super long, I get it. Nobody's looking around. Is there someone in here today that would say, you know what, I don't know. I don't have that faith that Josiah had, that to be absent from the body would be present with the Lord. And I, I need to get that right. Would you pray for me, Pastor? I don't know if I know Jesus as Savior. Nobody's looking around except me. I am looking around. I, I want to pray for you. My prayer can't save you or do anything for you. But hopefully it'll encourage you that somebody cares enough to pray with you about your soul need. Maybe there's someone in here today say, you know, Pastor, I'm not really taking my Christian walk very seriously. I'm not connected to a local body or assembly I, or whatever it is. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Whatever God is speaking to you about, maybe there's something the Holy Spirit has laid on your heart. And you say, you know, Pastor, God has spoken to me today. Would you pray for me? Is there anybody here I can pray for in a moment? Just lift up your hand quietly and put it down. In a moment, the pianist is going to play. He's just going to play just a little bit through by faith, and then I'm going to interrupt him with prayer. I want you to respond to God. The invitation at our church is always an invitation for you to respond to the truth you've received. So as as Ben uh, and um, if Stephanie wants to join him as they play through a little bit of this hymn by faith, you talk to God. I'm going to interrupt them in just a moment. You and God have a conversation. Only God can do in your heart what I cannot do. So you talk to God right now. May God help you. Would you speak to him?